Okay, so it's 7.56. I'm very aware of the time. We're going to go through Journey Through Genesis, and um, we'll get started on this. We're going to look at chapters 47 and 48, probably just 47. And um, I do want to remind all the men that we have our breakfast at Frank's this Saturday morning at 7.30. We have a room. I have gifts for all the men, folk, this Saturday morning, 7.30, Frank's in Prairieville, and it's our men's prayer breakfast with pastor. It's going to be a great time. Free gift, a lot of fun, and um, I want to say a prayer before we jump into this. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your presence tonight, the flow spirit I pray God that you would just speak to our hearts thanks for what we've already heard God about the Imago Day, and I just give you praise for that in Jesus name everybody say amen all right so <clears throat> chapter 47 is uh, when Jacob meets Pharaoh I'm not going to read any of the 31 verses in chapter 47, but I want to point out a couple things. Joseph had instructed his father and brothers to tell Pharaoh that they were herdsmen and to ask for pasture land. In other words, Joseph knew how to approach Pharaoh, but he knew his family didn't, so he coached them up and they heeded his advice. So Pharaoh told Joseph, I've given them Goshen, the best land in all of Egypt. And I love the way he put it in uh, verse 6. He told Joseph, if you know of my, uh, of any competent men among them, meaning your family, Pharaoh tells Joseph this, if you know of any competent men among them, make them the chief herdsmen of my livestock. And this is spoken like a CEO. He's a corporate headhunter. He's a good businessman, solid HR director. Get me the talent. It's fascinating to me. Good leadership is nothing new. Leadership development is nothing new. There are principles that work, even if you're not a Christian. I mean, Pharaoh thought that he was God, right? He did. He thought he was the embodiment of the sun god, Ra. And yet he knew if you want quality production, get quality managers. Get the right people on the right bus, in the right seats, go in the right direction. And he, he had already dealt very shrewdly with the butler and the baker. Did some research on that. Remember when Joseph was in prison and there was the butler and the baker that were in prison with him. And they had dreams. And Joseph interpreted the dreams. And the butler was restored, and the baker was, well, he was killed. He was executed. What was that all about? It could be, it could be that there had been an assassination attempt on Pharaoh, possibly through food poisoning. And so the debate would be, and some scholars have looked at it this way, was it the baker who baked the food? Or was it the butler that put the poison in it 
before Pharaoh got to it. And instead of killing them both, he puts them both in prison until the truth can be discerned. The truth was discerned, apparently, or at least something like it, because the butler's restored and the baker is executed. That's shrewd business dealings. Brian, that's, I mean, what if you just, like, executed, you know, the people, you found out who they were at complete collision, and you're like, like, it's over for you. I'm just kidding. But shrewd business dealings. I also love the fact that Jacob calls his life and, um, well, I, I don't have time. Pharaoh, so he's well-schooled. He's, he's a man with means. He's got mad management skills. And he recognized something in Joseph. He has this rare gift of interpreting dreams. He has this undeniable God connection. And he's also demonstrated excellence in everything he's done. Obviously, he has strong leadership. He has vision in his wheelhouse. The ability to see it through, to make it come to pass. And, and when Jacob was brought before Pharaoh, Jacob, I love this, so, so it's an introduction. Jacob is meeting Pharaoh. Jacob is 130 years old. And he's meeting Pharaoh who thinks he's a god. And Jacob walks in and immediately commences to blessing Pharaoh. And this is interesting, y'all. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? i got to make this exciting real quick. So he immediately commences to blessing Pharaoh. Now, if you'll remember back in Genesis 14, Abraham was blessed by Melchizedek. That weird guy Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And Hebrews 7 makes it very clear the greater always blesses the lesser. And so in Genesis 47, Jacob assumes the position of the greater. Jacob sees himself as greater than what the world considered to be the most powerful man in all the world, the greatest man in all the world. I want to remind you of something. A man or a woman who walks in covenant with Almighty God, burdened with glorious purpose and mission on assignment for the King of kings and the Lord of lords is more powerful than any president or governor or king or prime minister. He was a covenant man walking in mission with God. When Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh was stunned and blown away. And the only thing that Pharaoh could say was, Man, how old are you? How old are you? And I love Jacob's response. It's interesting. He says in verse 9, and again, we're not going to read all these verses, but this is interesting. He said, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. 130 years. That equals 47,450 days, at least on our calendar. And Jacob calls that few days. I guess no matter how long we live, it ain't enough, right? I mean, 
You're always looking for more. Maybe he was already feeling worn out. And he's comparing his pilgrimage to that of his father, Isaac, who lived to be 180 years old. Or his grandfather, Abraham, who lived to be 175. And he's already 130. And he's kind of feeling worn out. Their lifespans are shrinking post-flood. But Jacob's also straight up honest with Pharaoh. He says, basically, I've not always been a good boy. He admits to the fact that he's not always walked the straight and narrow. And this is cool to me. Jacob was real. I love that. He wasn't perfect, but he was real. He didn't lie about his past. To be sure, Jacob had walked in the flesh more than he had walked in the spirit. And just because he was honest about it did not exempt him from paying a high price for his carnality. He hurt himself. He hurt others. He hurt his family. He hurt a lot of people. His carnality had made his life harder than it had to be and more painful than it had to be. However, as we've already pointed out, In our study, God took his worst mistakes, what the devil tried to use to destroy not only him but his family and others, and the Lord has this uncanny way of doing it. He turned it all around, used it for his glory, and saved them all. That's how awesome our God is, and God still does that. You hear what I'm saying? So if you've got some pain in your past, even if it was your own fault, God knows how to take it, turn it around, and use it for good. I also love the fact that Jacob called his life and the lives of Isaac and Abraham a pilgrimage, a journey, never content with the world as it is, always searching for what God has promised. That's the way the people of faith roll in this world. One last thing. He leaves Pharaoh. Jacob leaves. He enters the presence of Pharaoh blessing him. Jacob's just... I'm a covenant man, right? I'm going to bless you. I know you think you're God and stuff, but I represent the most high God. And he blesses him. Walks in that way and leaves that way, blessing him as he went. He had just kind of settled into being covenant man, being a blesser. Now, chapter 48. See, we're done with 47. Now we're in 48. How about that, Nick? We in 48 now. Now, I'll read a few of these verses, and we're almost done. Verses 1 through 4. Now, it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick, and he took with him his two sons. Oh, this is phenomenal. Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and set up on his bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz. It's another name for Bethel. In the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. So at this point, Jacob is about 147 years old. He's about to die. He's weak. He's almost blind like Opie, my dog. And when he's told that Joseph is coming to see him, verse 2 says, 
he strengthened himself and set up on the bed. It's funny the way your kids will make you do things you don't feel like doing. Am I right, Jeff? You don't feel like it, but your kids, man, they just, they push you. Jacob loved Joseph and the old man who was dying. Hears that Joseph is coming and pushes up, gets up on his bed. And then he goes back to a bedrock moment in his life, a God moment. And here we see just what this experience really meant to Jacob. He recounts his God encounter at Bethel. Some of his last words, that dream, that moment, that presence, those promises, that power, those angels ascending and descending, that view behind the veil of time and space, that glimpse of eternity had been a fuel that had fired his quest and his pursuit of the Almighty, albeit it wasn't a perfect pursuit, not always a proud pursuit, but a pursuit nonetheless. I just want to remind you, if you've ever had a God encounter, a glimpse of the eternal, a moment with the Almighty, you can never be the same. You're a marked man, a marked woman, a marked kid. Jacob was ruined by his encounter with eternity. He could never be the same. He would never dream the same again. He would never walk the same again. He would never talk the same again. He was not perfect, y'all. He was not, but he was consumed, as Apostle Paul was, with apprehending that which had apprehended him. And then Jacob does something extraordinary. He adopted, right then and there, Joseph's two sons. Look at verses 5 and 6. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget after them, uh, whom you beget after them shall be yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. Joseph had married this Egyptian woman and had two sons with her at this time. Manasseh was the eldest Ephraim was the youngest. I'm closing with this. Manasseh means forgetfulness. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. Genesis 41, 51 says it, because God was causing him to forget his painful past. And Ephraim means fruitfulness. Joseph named his secondborn Ephraim because God was causing him to flourish and be fruitful, double-blessed. That's what it means, like a firstborn son. And this is so powerful. Check this out. Joseph, Joseph had spent 13 long, miserable years in a pit, sold like cattle. He lived in slavery, languished in prison. He had been betrayed, lied on, forgotten. And the worst thing about it was all of this misery came about because of his blood kin, because his brothers sold him out. It was not his fault. It was the wickedness of others. He had every right, you hear me, to be bitter, unforgiving, vowing to never forget the injustice 
that had been done to him. But had he done that, he never would have entered into this fruitful season that he was experiencing right here and right now. I'm going to tell you, for you to have an Ephraim, you have to have a Manasseh. For you to be fruitful right now, you got to be forgetful of some things in your past. you got to let go of some things, folks. I know it's unfair. I know they did you wrong. I know that spouse let you down. I know your family betrayed you. But you got to let it go to go to the next level of blessing and favor. you got to forget it. you got to forgive it. you got to move on. Paul said it in Philippians. He said, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. You hear me? If you'll keep an excellent spirit in the pit, if you'll keep an excellent spirit in Potiphar's house, if you'll keep an excellent spirit when old Mrs. Potiphar's lying on you, if you'll keep an excellent spirit in prison, if you'll keep an excellent spirit when the butler forgets all about you, God will find a way, folks, to get his blessings to you in his time that will cause all the pain of the past to pale in comparison. Amen? Stand with me right now. To pale in comparison. It'll just be a memory. You'll remember the struggle, but the pain will be healed. I'm looking for those kind of blessings, y'all. That above and beyond all I can ask or think according to the power that works within us. I'm talking about that above only and not beneath. That head and not the tail stuff, man. I'm looking for that. I'm going to get it by forgetting some things and looking forward to some things. Amen? You've got to let go. You've got to let go. You've got to have that Manasseh in order to have that Ephraim. The next time we're going to dive into this because this is a weird little story that's overlooked. You can go research it this week. There's not much written on this. Who did Joseph marry in Egypt? You know, Cleopatra, you know what I mean? Well, we have her name. We know who she was. And, and what's that all about? So we're going to dive into there because there's some super-duper significance that comes from this. One of them, I'll go ahead and give you a spoiler. Let's check this out. The rabbis go berserk trying to explain this, just trying to figure it out because here's the dilemma. Joseph married a Gentile. Joseph married an Egyptian. And they got some far-out theories on how she maybe wasn't, blah, blah, blah. We'll look at some of that. But he married an Egyptian. Did she convert? And here's why it's so important, because there's a famous Ephraimite. Ephraim's the kid of this Egyptian woman in Joseph. There's a famous Ephraimite in your Bible, one of the most famous, has an amazing name. His name is Joshua. He led the children of Israel into the promised land. And he's the, he's the namesake, if I can put it that way, no disrespect, but his name is Yeshua. Jesus, as we would say. And so an Ephraimite in your Bible is 
Joshua. So who's this woman that Joseph married? Oh, and I'm telling you, I, y'all have no idea. I, I, I got up at 2.30 in the morning and churned out 10 pages of notes. You have no idea. I'm telling you, we're going to go some places in Genesis 48. Amen. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? Awesome. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the moving of your spirit. God, you know right where we are. You know who we are. You know the journey that we're on. You know the path that we take, God. You know the end from the beginning. You knew all that stuff, God. That Joseph story is so strong. What you meant for harm, God meant for good. Lord, we know that you know the end from the beginning. You know our days. They are numbered, Father. You know them. You know them all. And you've brought us to the kingdom for such a time as this. God, set us on fire. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, send revival at Life Point Church. Fill people with the Holy Ghost. Let people be baptized in Jesus' name. Let people turn to you for the first time, calling on your name as Lord of all. Father, we just give you praise for that right now in Jesus' name. Can you do it?